Welcome to Here Come the Sequels, a full spoiler podcast where we take a look at popular film franchises one movie at a time. I'm Tyler. And I'm officially renaming this movie Voyage of the Yawn Treader. Tyler's inserting some air horns, I promise. Tyler? There we go. There we go. It was fine. I mean, I'm out. <laughs> and I'm Britton. How, how you doing? <laughs> Is this I, like a Dora thing? You know, Are we you know what? The Brit- audience <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's good. We call it the Yawn Trader. Yawn Trader. Yawn Trader Joe. Oh, stop. Let's start. Let's start. <laughs> <laughs> hey, how come Dora never did a Narnia? I mean, aside from branding and licensing and stuff. How come Dora never had to go to Narnia? <laughs> Several reasons, actually, yeah. that you've already well, identified. You know, Britain, well, Disney owns know all of it now. If they mm. had made one more movie, <laughs> they almost got there. Boots, you've, <laughs> you have magical powers now. The animals don't really have magical powers. The last movie introduced the concept of animals becoming feral if you don't talk to them enough, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is, we didn't really uh, dig on that. That's a frightening concept. Yeah. That like no one talked to that bear enough that he lost like he he split back into the bicameral mind if that's what animals have. Mm-hmm. Crazy. Kind of like a it's like a Pokemon thing, right? Oh, maybe. Like if you don't take care of your Pokemons. Yeah, they start getting mad at you. Yeah, 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 they do. And the pluralist Pokemon, but that's okay. We can we'll talk about yeah. it off mic. <laughs> um I you you merely adopted the dark. I <laughs> 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 Um, what are we talking about this week? Uh, the Chronicles of Narnia, the Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Gosh, to think it, we're, we're already here. Do, we're already at the end. We've, we flipped the script here. Do I have to pull up the scores now? Is that... Whoa. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's, it's not really out of the realm of possibility for a fantasy or, or kind of a, a, a Dungeons and Dragons type thing, because you did do that with Game of Thrones. I mean, this is basically the same thing. We're, we're going to, well, eh. much like those things, we're going to subvert the audience's expectation, and Tyler will read the scores. No, oh, jeez. All right. Uh, I, do, I do have them pulled up if you need the scores, <laughs> The scores are uh, probably like a 57, and then uh, like a... The, <laughs> I don't know. You're not maybe far a, off. A 98% critic score. 68? You're, it's not too, it, it, you were being a little generous to the movie but you're okay. not that far okay. off okay i was i was it was i see it as a 50 and a 58 all right all right which was the 58 54 critics mm. and then 58 for audience okay uh, oh. i think i just about had that pegged couldn't win kenneth turan over with this one i think that's a critic <laughs> um the movie is also from 2010 and was directed by michael apted who I want to remind everyone directed a movie that I technically did not finish for the podcast by the time that mm. we recorded. The world is not enough. We did finish this movie. We should say probably in in large part uh, because we were all in the same room. Mm-hmm. Uh, for once, we, we did have the rare opportunity to enjoy some movies together. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And I'd say that we enjoyed uh, at least a movie together. <laughs> Correct. It was not this one. I necessarily. I think we enjoyed the but viewing it wasn't, experience. It wasn't not this one. I guess. No. Yeah. No. We're not. We don't hate it. I, um, yeah. I do feel like this movie. This is not getting into the discussion, but rather as a as a caveat for the listener. 
um, or a disclaimer. We the, the volume was low because there was a sleeping baby, and we're all chatting and doing our yucks and our goofs and our riffs. So, like, we watched the movie. But just so you know. <laughs> um, <laughs> just like, you know. We were, I, yeah, I can't on. tell you with 100% certainty what happened in the movie. I feel like during the movie, I had a point where I was like, I bet if I watch this by myself, I would be paying less attention. <laughs> <laughs> if I was in my room with all my games and toys. I, I think I actually remember this movie pretty dang well overall, which is not normally the case for... Yeah. Maybe it is because we were we were riffing, but uh, yeah, it, it's I I didn't enjoy the set pieces, but I remember all of them. Yeah, I uh, I think it'll click in the more we the more we kind of yeah. talk about it. But just in case we do need a refresher, I we do have a synopsis here, and yes. you know what that means. We gotta we gotta bring him in. Mark, come on in. My roommate, Mark. Everybody, here he is. There he is, and he's gonna do the synopsis. Uh, here, just let me angle that. For you because you refuse to touch my laptop yeah thanks okay the chronicles of narnia and the voyage of the dawn treader <clears throat> visiting their annoying cousin eustace oh boy they're going to be getting into it in this one lucy and edmund pevensey come across a painting of a majestic ship called the dawn treader suddenly and guys just leaning in this is the part i was really excited to hear mark say Suddenly, the painting comes to life and draws the youths into Narnia, where they meet their old friend, King Caspian. Caspian is on a quest to find the seven lost swords of Telmar, whose swords will save Narnia from an evil green mist that enslaves men's minds and bodies. <laughs> yep, that is... Now, I have... Can I... Can I do a question? Can I... Can I have a question? Yeah, what's up? Is this movie a prank? No, that's that's the that's the movie, and presumably what what Tolkien wrote. Again, we didn't. I haven't read the book. Tolkien, Tolkien, yeah, what he wrote in his letter to C.S. Lewis, where he said, "Do it again." Hey, you know, he said, "Hey, here's my synopsis for your book. Here's what I think you should do." Um, <laughs> I didn't have the guts to put a green mist in this two towers, so this is all you. Um, that's crazy. Well, didn't he actually though? I don't remember. Um, they were trees, so. Uh, anyway, Mark, thank you, uh, for doing that for us, and I guess we'll, we'll get started. Wait, wait, hang on, I have a game. Uh, uh, what? I have a, I have a game. Do you mean Persona 5? Because, yeah, I know, you keep wanting me to watch you play it. No, no, no. <laughs> Although, it is a really fun game to watch me play. <laughs> no, no, I have a game for your friends and co-hosts. I never talked to them, and I thought this would be a fun way for us to interact. You know what? Less work for me. Guys, are you okay with playing one round? One round. One round. Are you guys okay with playing one round of Mark's infernal quiz game, I assume? I Sure. All right. You know, I, sometimes you got to... <laughs> Sometimes you got to pad an episode out. Okay. I don't well. imagine we'll have all that much to say about the Chronicles of Narnia Ragnarok. Let's go ahead. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, the the cool the cool and the comedy didn't balance well enough for me, says Alex. Okay, Mark, here you you take over. I'm gonna. Okay. So here's how the game works. I'm gonna give you a movie quote. Do you follow me? And then each of mm -hmm. you get mm -hmm. one guess to tell me what movie the quote is from. Do you need me to repeat that again? Yes. I'm going to give each of you 
I'm going to give a movie quote. It might be kind of esoteric. I got that from Britain's Word of the Day calendar. And <laughs> then uh, each of you get a guess to find out what the movie is. Okay. Are you re- Are you ready? Mm-hmm. Never been more ready. Okay. More. Let me I just... Know. I, I just. I just feel so prepared for this. Just flipping through my my copious pages of movie quotes. Now again, this might be a little inside baseball. Life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Tyler, would you like to guess first, or should I repeat the quote? Jupiter ascending. (laughs) That sounds like some real A24 stuff. (laughs) Alex, who, by the way, I'm giving you a nickname, Alex, and your nickname is A24. Will you tell me your, your guess for the quote, or would you like to hear it again? You know, I think I've got it. I think I understand. I, I, you know, and it's actually something that we've done for the podcast. Terminator Salvation. <laughs> well, dumbos, you're both wrong. <laughs> Turns out this quote is from a film called Forrest Gump from Robert. Oh, boy. Robert Zimakis. Zimakis. Robert Zimakis. Zimikis. I think you got it, yeah. So maybe next time you can stump the Infernal Quizmaster. Mark. Well, goodbye. <laughs> All right. You know, you know, Mark was wearing a hat that said QM the whole time, and I was just I had to wait till the end to figure out what it meant. Oh, boy, I'm glad the the thing that followed the letter Q was M. <laughs> oh, boy, <laughs> I was afraid of what was coming next out. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, yeah, now I know why he's been... I've heard him giggling <laughs> for the last few nights as he scratches hmm. away on a pad of paper. A, that was a, a stumper. That yeah, a, well, you know, it's... it's I, I, curveball. I brought in the recommendation segment to mix it up a little bit, and maybe listeners can write in. Uh, we'll tell I you swear, where to do that. Somebody go back and listen to our Terminator Salvation episode. I swear there's a moment where Britain says that exact line in the Arnold Schwarzenegger voice. I just, I, I swear <laughs> that happened. I honestly don't remember. <laughs> you know, I was another person yeah. then. Uh, I also, I will say that I think, I think your, uh, your accents are kind of rubbing off on each other. I think I think it you know it's you know, it's kind of like how uh, people's I assume people's pets like, take on their personalities. You know, with the with the pandemic, it's like yeah, I know. You know, you don't get a lot of time to get out and about. You know, yeah, kind of yeah. Cooped up together. We see each other a lot. I mean, ugh. it's better than when I roomed with that New York cab driver. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's when we had to kick you off the podcast. Exactly. That's why I was gone for a while. <laughs> <laughs> it just couldn't they couldn't deal with me telling them where I was walking. Um <laughs> Well, I and my roommate have talked enough, so one of y'all can start with your best and worst of Voyage of the Dawn Treader. And listeners, let us know if that game was a just a real stinker. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe you learned something. Maybe this is maybe we introduced yeah, you to you know. some new films. We'll pass that feedback on to Mark. Yeah. Um, and regardless of what you say, we'll probably do it again. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, 
I can go probably maybe my worst thing about Dawn Treader is that it does not look <laughs> a lot of the time. Um, there's a lot of really bad effects and it, it, it gets very rough towards the end. Um, <clears throat> basically there's a, a ton of different fantasy monsters and, uh, weird ideas and designs. Um, we mentioned the green mist. There's a green mist that people get whisked away into. And there's some, some pretty, so it, it looks rough in terms of it being inserted into the movie. And then also the editing around how they have people disappear into it is, is, is iffy. Uh, as we go along, we accumulate, there's, there's these like hobbit people with, with one giant foot, yeah. Uh there's uh at Eustace a character we'll talk about uh turns into a dragon. Uh and the dragon <laughs> uh yeah. go l- listener when you get the chance go look up uh Eustace dragon Don Don Treader I don't know some, something along those keywords. Uh check get get that in your images and uh you will see what I mean cuz it's not good. Um, I, I pulled it up now. It it is not a PBS style like level budget for a CGI version of like a badass Jar Jar Banks, mm-hmm. but it's not not that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, Eustace is the Jar Jar Banks of this movie, well, and by that I mean, and by I that mean... I mean he's secretly the best part. <laughs> Correct. Um, Spoilers, and and so like. <laughs> the yeah the and i never want to get too far down the criticizing the effects rabbit hole because usually there's there's people who have put a lot of good work into it right. regardless of the movie or, or the budget um and it, it just for whatever reason the designs the, the it it did not work out for this movie for most of the stuff to look good um yeah. Tyler, if I could interject real quick, I did want to um, kind of remind everyone what the budgets were for these movies. Um, this one was a huge drop-off from Prince Caspian, but it's still, relatively mm-hmm. speaking, it's still a very high budget. So, uh, Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe was $180 million. Um, Prince Caspian was $225 million. And then this one was dropped to $145 mm-hmm. Which, that is still a very expensive movie. Um, yeah. and this, this honestly feels like it's around a hundred million in terms of the budget. Um, there are moments of this that feel like it is a direct to video, uh, sequel. Yeah. And it's, it's rough. And I, we, we can talk about this some more. I, I think part of the, actually, I'm, I'm going to put a pin in that whole conversation. We'll get back to that. Um, my best thing is going to be Will Poulter as, Eustace, uh, I assume I'm stealing that from one or both of you, but I'm going to say it. Uh, <laughs> he is delightfully annoying. Uh, his character is supposed to be a, just like a complete dork and or jerk and is, is constantly complaining about everything. Um, and he does so a really mean. great. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, the, you know, I mean. He's a dork and he complains about everything. So he's me. Uh, He is. uh, He has like an actual character arc 
uh it might be the strongest of any characters in any of these movies thus far um an argument could be made uh he's he's a lot of fun it, it is very much a jack leeson from game of thrones thing of uh he plays a character who is so uh easy to hate that uh you you have to take a step back and realize how well he's playing that character um he was fairly young at the time i don't know exactly how old he would have been for this um but especially compared to uh movies that he's been in recently and i am uh weirdly excited to see him in guardians of the galaxy 3 so at some point we'll be coming back around to talk about him again and hopefully he'll get uh, a better movie to uh have us be excited to talk about his acting chops um or, he... or maybe we'll watch the maze runner movies right that yeah probably um he uh as i said does turn into a dragon like two-thirds of the way through which is like great because you you just took out the one character i was really enjoying uh but it is what it is i suppose alex uh my best thing going along with you i'll just expand that to the entire cast um Hmm. or at least kind of our main cast i think everyone from the previous movies continues to be good um Georgie Henley and uh, Skandar Kane's are, you know, they're just as good as the last couple of films. Um, ben Barnes, I still enjoyed, although I, I don't know if this is because we had the volume lower, so I couldn't hear him clearly, but it seemed like he just kind of dropped the Telmarine accent from Prince Caspian and was just using his normal British accent, um, which is kind of annoying. Um, I guess it... it if you want to kind of headcanon it, he's been interacting with Narnians for so long. He's just kind of lost uh-huh, it. Uh-huh. I don't know. The timeline on a, on this is all strange. And that just seemed like, it. once again, in terms of this movie feeling kind of cheap, that feels like a cheap kind of thing of like, oh, the actors don't, with that regard, it feels like somebody's not really invested in this. I don't know if that's the director going, drop the stupid accent. We don't need it anymore. Or, you know, if that was Ben Barnes's acting choice, but that was kind of strange. Um, but yeah, it was nice seeing everyone back. Um, even though I don't feel like uh, Britain, uh, one thing that we kind of discussed with the Prince Caspian episode is that we felt like Edmund and Lucy didn't get all that much to do. And I had pointed out, well, they're about to get their own movie with the next one. And then they don't do a whole lot mm-hmm. in this one either. They get their moments, but they don't get that much to do. Um, yeah. Will Especially Poulter's Edmund. Yes. Oh. I was going to say Lucy gets some character stuff, but Edmund is really, she gets a character arc that ends like halfway through the film. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and then Edmund and Caspian get very weak, like conflict that lasts like five seconds. Um, Eustace is, is the clear highlight. Will Poulter's amazing. Um, but I don't know. It was good to, to, see cgi tilda swinton i guess <laughs> I <don't know. laughs> um I, to be honest this movie was was a real flat line for me I, I i had a hard time really kind of getting invested in anything so the best thing i could come up with is that i liked a bunch of the people that were in the movie so that's it <clears throat> um in terms of a worst thing i'll just say overall character work um I, I think i've already started to explain this i just feel like th- th- this movie just has like a weird episodic kind of plot structure to it. And it doesn't feel like all of the events really connect all that well. 
and that can work for a book because obviously you know especially you know a children's book like this it, it can feel you know it's okay if it's very episodic um but especially coming after the last couple of movies it feels way too different and i think that kind of uh bringing down the scale in terms of what the threat is and the fact that, you know, we're not building up to any huge battle sequence or anything like it's, it's very different, but they Mm. don't kind of, they don't tighten up the story to help with that. And I think if they, you know, really pumped up the character work for Lucy and Edmund and really like, this is their final adventure in Narnia. Let's really hone in on that. Um, I think that if they had focused on that and beefed up, you know, kind of just scenes where they get to do things um instead of just standing and walking around a boat um i think that would have helped quite a bit to really bring the movie into focus um caspian gets next to nothing to do he's kind of just standing there for a lot of it too so that's it's kind of frustrating i mean yeah eustace is is kind of the real highlight and it is almost a shame that we don't get more after this um because i know prince caspian was a huge it wasn't a flop, but it didn't do nearly as well as the first film. So then I think Disney sold off the rights um, and then Fox picked them up and made this movie. Um, and then this movie didn't do all that well either. So they just decided to discontinue it. But um, I don't know. Will Poulter in this role for more movies? That would have been fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of rambling. It's fine. <laughs> no, I'll do I'll do a hat trick. Uh, I thought Will Poulter was really good. I obviously I liked him a lot in Midsommar. Um and I liked him a lot in this. I think Jack Gleason is, is exactly the right parallel. <clears throat> I will just say that he this this kid has a really punchable face. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and Will Poulter is a good looking fellow. Don't get me wrong. But as a child in this movie, I think it's more the performance or the more the personality of the character, which he does a good job of playing. I will also throw out my another best thing. One, because largely, yeah, the designs in this didn't work for me. They fight a giant, like, lamprey eel thing. That was a pretty good design. That got kind of spooky at one point. It, like, opened up and fanned out like a Dilophosaurus or something. Yeah. I was like, that's kind of cool. Um, but, yeah, my best thing is is the same thing. My, my worst thing, I think, is going to be that the movie feels kind like like, it feels like the studio didn't use their dominant hand. You know what I mean? Like it, it feels kind of secondary and it feels like I, I, I recognize that my I have steeped the first movie in so much nostalgia and import to myself that it's it works against the subsequent movies for me. Like I have just set myself up to not like them as much, but I still think Caspian worked ultimately and obviously it has the same director and like it is the direct follow-up so people can come right back to the set. It feels a little more, it does feel like a lesser experience to me, but it doesn't feel like a bad experience. And this one just felt like, oh, right. And then there's this one and we didn't get them back. We didn't get the other two back, which is narratively, they don't come back in the book that Peter and uh, Susan don't come back. But it, the movie just felt cheap and just kind of not not fully perfunctory because i i agree tyler i don't want to start criticizing people's i don't want to start assuming people's level of effort but it just it felt kind of throwaway um and you know that's that's a bummer because i think and yeah like alex said i i, I just kind of, was kind of flatlined about it I, I think just overall the movie just felt yeah kind of it was made with the non-dominant hand is the best way i can think to to phrase it um 
And I, and there are so many weird plot elements that I know or I assume are all from or mostly from C.S. Lewis. So it, I can't criticize them too much. But like the guys hopping around on one foot, I didn't get that. I don't know why we were doing that. That felt like how people try to make how people think Oz is a weirder place than it is. I don't know. That was weird for me. So. Also, did we ever find out what the green mist was? Uh, evil. Evil. Whew. Okay. This movie, and also, yeah. <clears throat> Tilda Swinton and a sea serpent. Right. At least were created out of the evil. Yeah. Because I, I get, Which like, it manifests spreading. your darkest desires. Like, seeing your family again, in some cases. Right. That is one thing I wanted to ask about, because the kind of start of the movie is caspian trying to look for these telmarines that knew his father or were mm. like outcasts or, or like Moraz was trying to kill them or something and i was a little bit confused because once we got to the green like my eyes just kind of glazed over at, at kind of the what the threat was um especially when they basically just said it's evil mm-hmm. yeah i was like oh okay the last couple of films we had were pretty cool. This is lame. Um, I, I I was a little bit confused about if is the start of the plot that lackadaisical where it's just we're going to find some guys. We're on a boat ship, isn't or boat ship? We're on a boat trip, isn't this nice? We're just we're we're out we're out you know having a good time. Um, road trip, except not. <laughs> um, is is the impetus for the plot that they're just trying to find these guys just arbitrarily, or is it we know the swords do something that that solves the problem? A little bit confused on what the stakes were. Yeah, they they basically they find the green mist is making people disappear, and then they're like, we have to gather all the swords uh, to make the evil go away. It's 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 basically that. Okay. It's a it's a very standard uh, fantasy trope. Yeah, and the, this is probably the first thing I want to get into. Did you finish your best and worst thing? Yeah. Okay. I, yay, Will Poulter. I lost track somewhere. Yeah, good was Will Poulter. Worst was it just kind of feels non-nominant. Right. Okay. Um, I think for me, my my biggest overall takeaway is just that like. I don't know that this is a book series that really translates well to movies yep. in the same way that the Hobbit doesn't really translate all that well. Like even putting aside the fact that the Hobbit movies are too long and they <clears throat> pulled too much out of that and they, they wanted to turn that into another fantasy epic um, that it's still, it's, it's like a, it's a kid's book or a children's book uh, written in the style of, you know children's books at the time where that doesn't mean they can't have dark things but they are are definitely all all ages at least yeah um and it's it's written in a way that's very <clears throat> kind of whimsical and uh free-flowing and doesn't have to define exactly all the magic and and what's happening in narnia and, and kind of all the 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 mystery there um whereas with a movie you have to lay that out and it seems like with this one the plot really started necessitating creating these crazy designs for the movie to to use and and 
too effectively kind of find a way to render for the film. Um, and, and so it reaches a point where I'm like, I, I don't know that long-term this movie series has the momentum to really carry, or this, the book series has the momentum to really carry a movie series. Uh, I, I think that there's a certain point where you have to start modifying things pretty heavily and, and seeding a lot more in between movies, uh, so that you feel like there's some narrative momentum. Yeah, you start. Um, you got to start inserting that that MCU buildup where it's like, oh, yeah. we're, we're leading towards something. And I remember reading the books, and you know, they're not. They're just not built that way, which yeah. is completely fine, and it works for the books. But for the purposes of a movie, <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's what the, that's why they tried to do that with the Hobbit. It's it's not just to make it longer. It's also because if you just made a movie adapting the Hobbit in full, it would probably feel a lot like this, uh, just straight up. Um, and instead, they kind of flushed it out and and carved out a nice chunk of the beginning one at least to make something presentable, and then uh, increasingly struggled to figure out how to adapt those elements as it got farther into the book. And it's the same thing here, where like with this book being so crazy and over the top and having so much stuff going on. Um, presumably again, n- none of us have read these recently at least, uh, but does seem like this is like, I think my, my bottom line is that this is a good adaptation probably of the book, uh, just from what I remember of it, but we're reaching a point where if you're just adapting it, uh, it's not going to be successful because it's just not a, a a fun thing to watch visually um, and kind of takes away from the purpose because then you end up with like, this movie was what, two hours? Just under that. It was like hour 50 something maybe. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So that's not too bad, but I don't know. feels like this movie should be an hour and a half yeah. if that's what we're doing. <laughs> and you should find ways to just trim, trim fat. Like, I feel weird thinking that you could almost cut out Lucy's character arc completely and it mm. would not change it. Like, it do- has no impact on the plot. Yeah, I think that's something that maybe Lewis meant as, like, a larger thematic thing for the whole series. Right. But then, yeah, for that, for this movie, it just feels like Lucy is sad she doesn't have a boyfriend mm-hmm. and wishes she were pretty like Susan. It's basically the I could never be her <laughs> thing. Yeah. I do, it is kind of, cute slash funny when they see Caspian and Caspian's like, well, you know, da, 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 and I'm a king and I'm busy. And Lucy like awkwardly plays with her hair and is like, is, is there a queen? Like, yeah, that, that, was, that, was, that worked. And he like immediately shuts her down. And he's like, <laughs> no, no one's as fair as Susan. <laughs> oh man. What a, what a ice, Old. what a ice prince. Can you imagine <laughs> if you were like, this would be like, if I went up to a lady and we were talking and I was doing all my great lines. And I said something about like, oh, do you have a boyfriend? And she's like, no, I could never deserve someone as handsome and foxy as Alex. <laughs> and then I just like f- melted into the floor. Well, I'm glad mm-hmm. to know she listens to the podcast. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I, I only go out with women who have listened to the podcast. <laughs> and if they haven't heard of it, I make them listen to several episodes before they meet me. <laughs> now see uh britain a while back you you asked if we're ever worried about getting canceled yeah 
uh, for the podcast. Yeah. Th- this is the kind of thing where I think you're 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 stepping into hot water. This is this is where you need to be concerned. This about this me. is this is sowing the seeds of our destruction. <laughs> this, is, this is not not criticizing billionaires. I think <laughs> I think that's not. <laughs> I think we're you're looking down the wrong the wrong track there. I was Oh no. <laughs> I promise I was joking. Oh um, goodness. I was about to say I'll date any type of woman, but I'm not easy. No, not like that. This podcast is going exactly how I would have expected our podcast about the Chronicles of Narnia, the Voyage of the Dawn Treader. No, it would, I, it would legitimately freak me out if I met a woman and she was like, are you on that podcast? Here comes the sequel. I would be <laughs> genuinely like, wait, what? I still think are of you this. Are stalking me? I still think of that podcast as a secret. What are you talking about? Um, uh, how do we get here? Lucy. Her arc is, I don't think I'm pretty like Susan. And that culminates in her having, a go, guess, going on a dream quest to, or vision quest to like a 40, a swinging 40s garden party where Peter and Susan are there. And then they're not, I can't remember exactly how that unfolds. They're, it's oh, like a mirror dream. Yeah. Yeah. Cause she, she's, she's seeing, she's having a, is it a dream? I can't even remember. But she shows up there, and it's just her, Edmund, and Peter, and she's basically taking Susan's spot, and she's like, "Wait, what about Lucy?" Or oh, I'm that's Lucy. right. That's and they're right, like, right. "Who's that?" Um, yeah. Yes, I will say that effect of her looking in the mirror and morphing into Susan. I liked that as a visual mm-hmm. effect because it was sure. very slow for a while. It just looked like they were having her change, like changing her dress, and then I went, "Oh, they're actually morphing her in." Mm-hmm. to susan and i was like that's really impressive uh because those actresses don't really look that much alike but i was like it was kind of it, it was nowhere okay it was not anywhere near this level of sophistication but the scene in blade runner 2049 where mckenzie davis and anna de armas are constantly morphing back and forth into each other yeah um and that's like this just a, a mind numb or like for me anyway, this like mind boggling visual effect sequence of these actresses just becoming who do not look anything alike constantly switching back and forth. Yeah. It was not that level of sophistication, but it was akin to that. Like we are changing this actress into other actress. And I thought that was really impressive. Um, maybe that's where a lot of the money went. I don't know. I think I was just kind of amused at the novelty of getting, um, Anna Popplewell and uh, sure. uh, who's the actor that plays Peter? William Mosley. Yes. Just the novelty of getting both of them back, even at like he, Peter gets the the dream sequence. He's not in the rest of the movie. Mm-hmm. But I was just like, oh, hey, they're back. They didn't just go, oh, they have like, th- this isn't their story. They're not in it. <laughs> yeah. And that's a, that's a fun scene. And I think it's pretty effective, but it just it happens very early on and it's not really seeding anything. It's like explaining how Lucy gets over this. Yeah. Uh, struggle she's having with her. I didn't like the way she looks. Um, and then, yeah, it, it kind of just moves on from there. Well, also the solution, a CGI dragon. Well, the problem is the solution to that is not her proactively like solving a problem or making a decision. It's Aslan going, no, that's wrong. You shouldn't do that. And her going, okay, I guess it's bad. <laughs> yeah. Never mind. Yeah. 
Whereas, like, this is this is kind of the bigger thing for me. It's not just that the scale has been reduced. It's also just, like, the thematic through line, particularly what I was grasping onto with Prince Caspian of, it's this whole thing of, like, now that they've been introduced to everything and kind of Aslan and kind of how to um, kind of defeat whatever evil force is, at, you know, attacking them, the answer is faith. That's what's going to win the day. And ultimately, that's what Lucy is pressing for, and that's why, you know, obviously in the third act she goes and finds Aslan, and, you know, the rest is, is that. Whereas with this one, it's just like, no, it's a lot more. We just travel to the place and do the thing. There's mm-hmm. not there's not some overall thematic point, and it doesn't feel like we're heading to, oh, I guess at the end we're we're at like the gates of heaven. It it's yeah. not it's not building to that. Yeah. I mean, th- this really does feel like they could have just gotten to the end of like, anybody care for shawarma? <laughs> like <laughs> it could have been do anything. We, yeah. Do we want to go ahead and talk about that? Do we no. want to go straight to the I feel like this is a big aspect that we haven't even touched on uh, that just is is a whole fascinating wrinkle. Yeah, sure. The whole movie. Um, they get to the end, and this, I think, is all straight out of the, the book. Um, they get to the end, and, and they are at the, uh, th- this, the end of the world, um, which they've like referenced a few times. They, they did set it up throughout. Um, and there's a big tidal wave kind of suspended there. And Aslan shows up on the beach and he's like, hey, this is this is my kingdom that you can get into. Um, and Reepicheep is there. Reepicheep's been there the whole time, by the way. We haven't mentioned him. He's in the movie. And now he's played by Simon Pegg. Yes. Sure. Uh, I don't know who he was played by before. Uh, Eddie. Uh, Eddie Izzard. OK. OK. So, I yeah, sure. Um, how much of the budget do you think Simon Pegg got? Do you think Simon <laughs> Pegg like I think yes. managed to swing them into into this ridiculous contract because they thought that his name would be the thing? <laughs> I don't like, know. Simon if it Pegg will, been. will offer you twenty million dollars, and he's like, "Oh, okay." Yeah, I mean, a bunch of film bros sure. were like, "You're telling me Paul, Simon Pegg from Paul is in this?" <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, would this be a little bit too early for that? Because this would have been like. When, uh, a year after the first Star Trek movie? I guess Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz. It was I was going to say, when was Shaun of the Dead? Yeah, in space. I mean, he's already a name. Shaun of the Dead is 2004. So, yeah. Like, yeah. We can make it work. It's fine. Yeah. That's my narrative, and I'm sticking to it. Um, <laughs> Reepicheep goes into heaven uh, <laughs> on, on a rat boat. Yeah. Which I guess he, means his other mice friends are dead. <laughs> he surfs. Yeah, they don't. He don't surfs they... through the holy waters. Uh-huh. Yeah, um, yeah, it's it's an odd moment where there is an end of the earth, and then Aslan's like, "Psych, not actually the end. There's something else behind it, but no one knows what it is." And they're, and they're all like, "Well, no, we should just go home. It's we have more to do back on Earth or here in Narnia." And then Reepicheep's like, "I've lived a full life." Mm. <laughs> well, no, he's talking about adventure because mm-hmm. to die would do be an like- big adventure. Did you guys love how Aslan basically said, I'm Jesus, go and learn and about Jesus? That's the big thing, is that, I mean, C.S. Lewis is a Christian writer. Right, we, right. we talked about this with both the last two movies, how stuff comes up with this. Um, but there is a line where Aslan says, "You've uh, I, in your world, I go by another name. You've... Yeah, uh, or you've come to know me now. You Here, you must now go and know me by another name. Yeah, you've learned me... You know who I am here so that 
you can learn to know me better in right, your right. world. And th- this comes back to my, I just don't know how you adapt yeah. the series because that is so woven in. And I, the series was written in the forties and fifties. Uh, I don't know how you do something that is that sort of surface, not, not maybe not surface level, but I don't know what, almost naive, I guess like that is that plainly yeah. clear as day. Like this is a series about Christianity and right. I, I'm, I am clearly filling in metaphors or like putting, putting pieces in here that are corresponding to parts of my faith. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you adapt that in a way that doesn't come across. Like I, I imagine that there are some people who watched this and got to the end and, and you know, that it's not, completely uh subtle in the first movie that yeah. aslan's supposed to be jesus being resurrected um but this is really really on the nose at the right. end and i imagine there were some people who were like what yeah. like why like i didn't know that i was watching a a lifetime movie like what's <laughs> going on here yeah. and i i just don't know how you adapt <clears throat> something that's so on the nose about it and clearly that's the uh, the goal i guess of the series is to promote Christianity to children uh and I like I I don't know how you make that come across in right. a way that doesn't feel like a preachy uh, a, a, yeah preachy that's probably the best word for it so that that again comes back to my thing of this this series probably I I can't really imagine it ever thriving all the way through seven movies even in a perfect world where they'd been done even better like yeah I don't know uh, no, I, I agree, and I think that language of the wardrobe can survive that because you can al- you can look at that as an allegory for that story or like, oh, we're mm. taking sort of ideas from this story and utilizing it in this Narnian tale of Narnia. And we could say like, oh, the lion is Jesus. But in ju- just in the vacuum of language of the wardrobe, you're like, well, he's a Christ figure. Like he sort of stands, yeah. like he's sort of a, a proxy for that character it's not literally i am the the lamb of lambs the king of kings the son of david christ as a lion <laughs> but this movie it does not nice and not subtly become like that is who aslan not just is, is another name Perfect for sense. but he literally is him yeah yeah the, i i think you're right i think you just run into this like Ugh. and i'm and i want to be clear and I, I, Tyler did not suggest this at all. I just want to be clear from my own potential of linguistic stumbling. I'm not criticizing <laughs> the idea of a faith-based storyline. Mm-hmm. I don't, that doesn't, it does not bother me that there are faith-based movies in the world. Um, no, no, certainly not. Yeah. Th- that is not an issue with me, but I do, I, I, I do agree. Like that is something that when you are a movie that is promoting a specific thing, whatever that thing is, you immediately draw, dissension and and there can be some issues with that and especially when you're when your goal is like let's make kind of a four quadrant like family adventure fantasy movie to bring in something that i kind of alluded to this when we talked about uh water moses as i learned in the last Mm -hmm. movie it's like Mm -hmm. oh we're just here now like we're just doing this right and that is a there is a boldness to that choice that i respect to say we're just gonna do it because that's what the, the the story is but yeah, it does come with this weird sort of not weird, but it does come with this risk, I guess, um, of of really alienating, potentially alienating folks. 
but also the books have that, but that feels, I don't know, it feels different. I think the problem for me is that it's just the lack of buildup. Um, sure. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. if the whole movie was starting to lean into the, oh, this is Edmund and Lucy's final adventure, they're really trying, they are starting to learn what this all actually means when they go back to the real world. Yeah. Um, that would be one thing. Yeah. But the rest of the movie isn't about that at all. Yeah. And then you just get to the end and Aslan goes, guess what? <laughs> it's no longer a metaphor, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, it, I I think it really is. I think we were all a little bit shocked when we got to, the, to it because the, the only movies you see that really so, um, again, I can't find exactly the word I'm trying to think of. Blatant. Um, yeah, but maybe just just so blatantly, uh, I guess so uncritically. I mean, not yeah, yeah. The, like I'll just say it that way. So uncritically present like this is a Christian thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the only movies you really see that do that are ones that are very much marketed around that. Yes, that are. Yeah, this is uh, uh, you know, God's not dead. Whatever. Right. Or, or yeah, what, what was know? that uh, breakthrough? Was that? Yeah, yeah. 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 This is an adaptation of a. A, a true story about someone's faith right uh, or someone's story of faith like you don't really see that in just big action movies yeah. or or like mainstream movies uh because it can it serves the the risk or the uh, possibility of making audience and be like what i that i don't really want that to be like right shoved at me like yeah and again i i mean yeah i i don't and and if I know have that... a problem with it in the series, yes, as in, in the book series, uh, because that is kind of what that book series is. I mean, right. people know C.S. Lewis, like, you know, you should know what you're getting into if you're reading those pretty quickly. Um, but this, especially after Prince Caspian, I think kind of drops it. There's the faith elements. There's the the metaphor in that regard. But it really doesn't have any of that, like, really tethered connection to uh christianity aside from water moses i guess uh and then this one just this one is like so off base from that for so much of the movie and then just it's like oh there's evil green mist and swords and stuff and then we just snap really quickly right at the end back into that and it's it's really jarring and and strange yeah and i think alex is i think you do make make the point it's it's not like offensive at all it's just Oh, it's it's kind of jarring because the rest of the movie has been such a fantasy adventure. It's been such a like standard. We have to find the seven things of thing to stop the evil thing. Onward, and it's so traditional in that way. And then suddenly at the end, which the the idea in general that we're suddenly at this place of mortality and you're never coming back, and Eustace maybe you are, and Reepicheep is not literally dying but dying. Like all this stuff is happening. That is that whole sequence is already like, oh, we're here now. And then you get that on top of it. And yeah. And yeah. So how many times did Eustace deny that he was in Narnia? <laughs> hmm. I wonder. But yeah, it's it's just an odd sort of about 12. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and on the one hand, though, I do kind of respect the writers in the studio for being like, I mean, that's what the books are. So let's do it. <laughs> like, yeah. 
Just, yeah. Yeah. I mean, once again, this is Marcus and McFeely who would go on to do um, every Captain America movie and then mm-hmm. Infinity War and Endgame. So there's that. They also did the Dark World, but we don't talk about that. Um. <laughs> anyways, uh, I think they did it with a third guy named Michael Petroni, and I don't, I don't recognize that. Uh, Petroni. Which almost makes me wonder if they did like the first draft and then they brought on somebody else because the rights were sold to yeah. Fox. Could be. And he had already no, changed did. his name after wanting to work on the Harry Potter movies, and now he was stuck doing Narnia. They did. They did the adaptation for this, and they were like, "All right." doing the script we uh you know we've got to make sure that we stick to the adaptation and stick to the books like even even though this is going to probably feel weird to audiences we're gonna we're gonna go with this um but now we really need to like balance that out uh so we're gonna go commit a sin and write the thor the dark world (laughs) (laughs) we literally wrote about a mouse ascending to the light the light (laughs) kingdom so now we're gonna have a, a a false god plunge into the dark world <laughs> i haven't seen that not movie look, in a long time this guy does not have the the best track record it looks like with screenplays um he wrote queen of the damned oh sits at a 17 percent on rotten tomatoes yeah. um and the other one that i recognize is the book thief oh sure hmm. which is also based on a popular book and it's also apparently not great, but I remember seeing that in theaters, and it was fine. I like Jeffrey Rush. Or I think I do. I <laughs> I don't know if we can. Is is my way I'll phrase them. Um, but what I will two, uh, will say is Queen of the Damned, part of a franchise. There you go. The third That's of true. it. Uh, to tie to tie a bow on that discussion of the end thing, I do want to point out that uh, the book. Uh, Voyage of the Non-Treader was published in 19, 1952, I believe, if I had my numbers right. And uh, Liam Neeson was born in 1952. So I think that that canonically is actually what at least the movie is saying, is that Aslan is telling them, you have to go find me, Liam Neeson, <laughs> because I have just been born. So There is that. Can we, can we, hey. can we sing Away in a Manger, but it replacing... <laughs> Jesus with Liam Neeson. <laughs> this is our most blasphemous show yet. Uh, <laughs> it really is. Hey, actually, here's the... Th- here oh. it is. The most recent credit for Michael Petroni is a 10-episode uh, miniseries called Messiah. Well, there you go. So there it is. Oh, and he wrote The Right with Anthony Hopkins looking angry through a cross. Possession. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. And Masters of Science Fiction. Okay, Miracles. Do you think Do you think Don Treader is what made him be like, "Man, I really like writing religious work. I need to I need to explore these themes more." Possibly. He found Christ through the Don Treader. <laughs> I mean, movie. before that, he wrote The Dangerous <laughs> Lives of Altar Boys, so. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Takes all kinds. Um there's all kinds of people. <laughs> Lions. Font. Hey, the the uh, Minotaur was not as cool in this movie as in the previous ones. Yeah, just called shot. There, I said it. I think well, he was makeup, a fully CGI figure. The makeup effects just seem to have taken a a, a downturn a bit. Yeah. Well, I thought like in the first in in the last two movies there was a real like 
there, there was a sense of clearness that like, oh, that's an animatronic. I can see the the minotaur is turned and is saying, and I can see the eyes are blinking kind of mechanically and the ears are wiggling kind of mechanically, but in a way that made me appreciate it. It's like yeah. every now and again watching a Jim Henson, like watching Labyrinth or even watching mm. the Muppets, you have a moment you're like, and right there I can tell it's a puppet. But it doesn't really, if anything, it reminds me how high the craft level is that I wasn't thinking about it being a puppet previously. Mm-hmm. And so it was kind of like that. And in here I was like, and it's a CGI bull man. Okay. <laughs> in the previous movie, there's a CGI bear who I, who at one point was like, for Aslan. And I think it was supposed to be like a joke that he's kind of dumb. So that's fun. And then he was just in the background. And so it looked like the movie went, guys, I have a great idea for a joke. And then realized that joke didn't have any gas, but they couldn't get the joke out of the room. So they just kind of sat there. Weird. Also, none of the none of like the side fantasy characters got like any memorable moments in this. Nope. A couple of like fawns I, were there. Like we talked about um in Prince Caspian, the end of the uh the attack on Moraz's castle is one of one of the Minotaurs holding yeah, up the yeah. gate. And it's like, oh, it's a really, like a really dramatic moment. And he's he's getting shot while he's mm-hmm. he's holding up the and it's like it's a really cool bit. Nothing, nothing like that in this movie. Just nothing. <laughs> yeah, it's Re- and Reaper Cheap doesn't. I guess Reaper Cheap and Eustace become friends, and yeah. he rides him as a dragon. I guess he kind of gets the most. Yeah, I yeah. think they get they they are kind of the strongest storyline throughout the movie. That's not just MacGuffin driven. Them um, dueling on the ship was cute. That and also yeah. uh, spotting more alternate Alan Moores. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That was fun. Uh, yeah. We. We discover over the the course of the movie that all of the people who have swords are these these guys with like crazy wild long hair and beards. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and you sure could have convinced me that any of them were playing Alan Moore. So there is that. Let's see, we're t- playing Alan Moore or just were or Alan was Moore. Alan Moore. Really quick, <laughs> what Alex, what year did the Watchmen film come out? The year before this. Okay, he was like, well, that wasn't the way I wanted movies to be. I'm going to go be in this other movie. <laughs> Zack Snyder was like, hey, man, <laughs> you know, I, I'm a huge fan. Like, uh, Watchmen, you know, completely changed my my career because I was, it just totally changed how I feel about comic books. Like, man, can I get you to do a cameo in, in my movie? I know you don't like adaptations of your your uh, your works, but it would it would really mean a lot to me if we could get you in. I think the fans would love it, too. Um, and then he, Alan Moore, just without saying a word, just like called up, uh, Fox, I guess. And was like, I want to be in the dumbest movie you're making right now. <laughs> uh, and I'm not going to do Watchmen. <laughs> but uh, it can't be Alvin and the Chipmunks. It can't be Alvin and the Chipmunks. That would be yeah. a Or he- Alan and the Chipmunks? Ah. Uh-huh. Pitch? <laughs> oh. I've never wanted something so badly. <laughs> Can you imagine Alan? And then Theodore and Simon roll up and they're like, what do you mean? And there's Alan Moore with a red baseball cap and a big red shirt with the. And, and Alan's like, that's crazy. Now we're going to sing right round by Flo Rida. Christmas time is here. Alan and the Chipmunks. Please, Santa, don't be late. Alan and the Chipmunks 2, more to come. (laughs) 
I just want a hula hoop. <laughs> oh my god, I want it so bad. All right, somebody. Uh, all right, somebody. Let us know what what Alan Moore's PO box is. We're gonna mm-hmm. we're gonna we're gonna mail him a hula hoop. Hey. <laughs> Out of context. <laughs> Nothing else. Hey, Alan hey, to... he knows magic. He'll know what's going on. <laughs> we're, we're gonna mail him a hula hoop, and then there's gonna be a single note inside. It's gonna be through an Amazon gift, uh, and then there's gonna be a note. Like we'll we'll put in the gift note inside. Yeah. It's just gonna say, "Come on our podcast." <laughs> <laughs> And he's like, guys, I, I finally come out of retirement. I'm writing a book again. Dave's back. The whole gang. We're doing Alan and the Chipmunks, the graphic <laughs> novel. It is an omnibus. <laughs> Tra- and you know what? It'll be out in stores. That would legitimately be great. <laughs> oh my God. You know it would. You he's know like it would. mutated like rat things like I'm- in The Suicide Squad. I don't know. I don't know about y'all, but I am really looking forward to our 400th episode when we have David Benioff, D.B. Weiss, Alan Moore, um, that one person we kept talking about, and then realized they're like still on social media and decided we should stop talking about them. Yeah. Uh, which is was probably like Zack Snyder or something. Uh, <laughs> can we just get Z- Snyder and and Ryan Johnson? Can we just kind of complete yeah. that? Yeah. Yeah. That'd be good. Oh, and Kelly Reichardt. Yeah, naturally. <laughs> i think we should i think we should start a business where we consult with with big podcasts uh and tell them what kind of pairings of creators they should get because if we could get like npr to do an interview with alan moore and kelly Reichardt, oh my god uh for no reason just be like hey just just get just see what happens just like get <laughs> these two in a room uh chat them up no kelly you made a movie called night moves alan that sounds like it's your whole thing let's dive in <laughs> It's about eco-terrorism, so I bet you got something to say yeah, about that, no, that's, don't you? Yeah, that's definitely Alan Moore's thing. Well, you yeah. see. <laughs> I don't know how he talks. <laughs> I don't either. I assume it's menacing. Oh, yeah. but Or it's I, like really, well, you know, when I was writing from hell, I just really... Um, <laughs> I really got into the feeling of uh, Jack the Ripper. <laughs> just like what he might, you know, want to do when he's killing people. Oh, oh, fuddy, oh, fiddlesticks, I spilled salt. Such a fuddy-duddy am I. Hang on, just over the old shoulder. Oh, it's in my like, big hair. I like the idea of Alan Moore as uh, Evan Hansen. <laughs> well, I just, I just thought, you know, maybe I'd, I'd uh, write a scathing satire of a uh, comic book <laughs> and superhero. W- watching through a window. <laughs> You're Alan Hansen. Oh Hansen? my god. <laughs> oh. This man killed himself, so I'm gonna worm my way into his family. <laughs> mm, listen, <laughs> he'd write that, guys. Do he'd we have that. to? I man, this is the closest I've come to wanting to watch that movie. Although, <laughs> 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 just like get a little popsicle stick and put a picture of Alan Moore on it and just hold it up in front of Ben Blast's face during the whole thing. <laughs> oh my goodness me. Oh, God. Well, uh, we have better ideas than movies do. (laughs) Here's 20 more biopics of recent figures. Here's Alan Moore and some mice. (laughs) They're going on a road trip. (laughs) It is also Alan Moore's biopic, but that's besides the point. Oh, goodness. Okay. Isn't one of those movies called The Road Trip? Yeah. 
Yeah. All right. The squeak oh, there. Yeah, there's four of them, dude. They're all theatrical look, releases. Why have we not look, done them on the podcast? Look, it's <laughs> all it's because we're waiting on Ellen Moore to join us to review no, all right, of them. Right, 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 right. God, can you imagine? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like picturing the exact thing I'm looking at right now, but only <laughs> I'm seeing these two squares of y'all, and there's a third square that is Alan Moore. <laughs> and we're just doing all <laughs> And he's like, wow, is Mark is really here, huh? <laughs> yeah, he'll, he'll be able to see that we're not lying. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> I, is Mark I know that movie. I know that movie quote. Ooh, me first, me first. <laughs> oh, my God. Ah, uh, Alan, what you do you have to recommend? Characters having sex with each other. Whoa. <laughs> I was going to say, you, you got to come up with a quote that's from one of his adapted movies. Like, I want somebody to... Mark needs to quote leave League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. He'll never get it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. A League of, a League of Extraordinary Chipmunks. Mm-hmm. Also a good point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I gotta read more Alan Moore stuff. Okay. <laughs> um, last thing I wanted to touch on. Um <laughs> This was wonderful. This is wonderful. Um, like I said. I figured this would be Tyler. I, I you said it best. It's it's exactly how I thought it would go. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, Edmund's character arc, or lack thereof, because um, they seem to go for a few different potential yeah. pieces for him. So the one is he's questioning Caspian's leadership, which gets brought up and dropped in the same scene, practically. Mm-hmm. Um, then he seems to be obsessed with that island where there's gold. Yeah. Yeah. But that gets dropped pretty quickly. Um, yeah. And then with the green mist, he gets visions of uh, the white witch trying to tempt him. Which I feel like that character, it's interesting that we found a way to bring Jadis back, to bring Tilda Swinton back, but... I felt like that stuff was kind of forced because, once again, it didn't feel like we were building to anything with Edmund. It was just kind of yeah. like, I, it's interesting that this is just kind of a recurring trauma for him that's kind of always there. That's just kind of a reminder of kind of his his past failings, but he kind of uses that to kind of move forward and progress. So there is something, but I don't I, know. I would assume that this, that the book has like, a that that's all kind of tied together in a trying to figure out who he is as he's growing up and you know, getting into becoming like a young man like i i assume that there's some uh, a real if that is how that all those events play out in the books there's no way of knowing really um <laughs> then then i assume that that's sort of a through line but yeah i it does give him random conflicts and kind of like okay yeah um yeah. he also <clears throat> I'm not convinced that he doesn't have the hots for the White Witch at this point because I don't know what else she's trying to. T- she doesn't have Turkish delight at the end there when she's in the mist. She she's just like, hey, you should join me, and he's like, I really think I might, <laughs> uh, and I don't know how to interpret that. Um, but yeah, it's it's a weird. The, the yeah, there's there's just no consistency to the way they do that uh, with him. Oh. We didn't talk about the Gold Island at all. Because 
there is some neat stuff, I guess, there. there there's a, a pond that turns things to gold. And one of the uh, sword guys has fallen into the pond. And so they have to get the sword out using... It, it, it does feel very Harry Potter-ish. Um, and they have to use like a shell to... Or no, they use the sword to get another sword out. Uh, but they they find out that it, anything that goes in there turns to gold, and then they realize there's a big old gold stockpile. And uh, Eustace grabs a thing that he puts on his wrist, and that turns him into a dragon. Uh, I don't know. I think it's a lot to unpack. The the Edmund stuff with the White Witch felt like the kind of thing that it's like I would see it in a trailer, and then I would devise my own idea of what it would be and then get disappointed now sometimes mm. that happens because we get so hyped about something and we think about it so much we create a standard that it was never supposed to meet or we create a a friend of mine was talking about this with shang chi recently where she was like i was really hyped for it and so i had kind of like written the story in my head of what the movie would be and so then when i saw it she was like i found myself getting disappointed because it wasn't the thing i had already decided it was mm -hmm. which was unfair because the movie never told me it was going to be those things. I had just waited so long to see it that I built it up to be a specific thing in my head. Um, but in this case, it's like the movie kind of drifts near an idea and just kind of spins around a minute and then leaves. Yeah. Because I liked the idea of the White Witch being this figure who never leaves him, whether it's a traumatic figure, whether it's guilt, whatever it is. And she is a manifestation of him remembering, like, I was almost a villain when this all started. I could easily have betrayed... I did betray my siblings, and I could have betrayed them worse. Like, I managed to get out of him and be forgiven, but I still have all that guilt with me. And I like the idea of that sticking with him, but... instead, And, like, in the last movie, in Caspian... It was this nice thing where Peter starts getting tempted by like, oh, if we had her power, we could win because it feels mm -hmm. unwinnable. And then Edmund is the one that stops it. He's like, you think you want it, but you actually don't. And I was like, oh, that's a cool sort of evolution for his character, a new next step. And this is just like, Edmund, what if you had power? <laughs> and it's like, that. this feels a lot thinner to me than, than what it could be. It might be in the book if it's in the book or could just, you know, I, it doesn't feel as rich as it has the potential to feel, especially if this is about him coming into his own and being ready to leave Narnia. Yeah. The idea of him forgiving himself and releasing himself from that. But that they don't, that's not really what the movie does. I just realized something. That's I don't think it, it is. Um, tech support. I don't think either of their character arcs work like beyond like, I don't think they make sense mm. beyond whether or not they were executed the best. Because in Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, both of them grew up to be adults. Uh... Particularly with Lucy. She knows what she looks like as an older woman. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what you gonna say? That completely... That's, a weird, that's a weird direction. That completely breaks the... Okay, that, that doesn't work. All right, what what little character work this movie had is just gone for me with regards to her. And then with Edmund, you know, I, I feel like the fact that he's actually older than he looks, this stuff shouldn't be bothering him like it is. I don't know. 
it's weird. It feels like the characters had matured more naturally in the last film. And I know we still, or at least you guys still had some, some problems with that, particularly with Peter's kind of pettiness sure. in places. Um, but this is just like, no, I think that for me, just kind of realizing that I think that kind of breaks the movie. Sure. Huh? Never mind. <laughs> One day I'll read the book and maybe I'll feel very differently. Yeah. I mean, maybe I, it, it would be interesting to know, particularly for the Lucy stuff, if that is yeah. purely for the movie. Cause I, I can't remember if that's right, right. from the book or not. That feels like a movie thing now, now that I'm, I'm kind of reading it that way. No, it, it does. It, it, and it feels like to, it's something about getting those actors back more than it does. Yes. Yeah. Right. Um, one last thing. Uh, David Arnold did the score for this one, not uh, Harry Gregson Williams. They bring back the Narnia theme a couple of times, but it's never like full bombastic yeah. uh, craziness in the middle of a battle scene. So it was kind of lame. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunate. <laughs> I give it a D. I also give it a D. I was, th- I-, I was honestly thinking like a C, just like a complete flat line, whatever. But that, the, the fact that the the character stuff literally it, it makes no sense. <laughs> um, I'm I'm I I'll, I'll be slightly nicer. I'll give it a D plus. I like that I've given all of these movies a corresponding letter: D for Don Treader, C for Caspian, A for Arnicles. So, mm. just a little motif. Huh. So, I'll do a recommendation um, <laughs> of a movie I would not give a D to. Go higher than that. Um, I, I took myself to the theater today and saw a movie that I will recommend, most likely recommend next week, because I, I want to let it percolate a little bit more, but also I want to get to my real recommendation uh, for reasons that will be revealed. Uh, I'm going to recommend a movie called Swan Song. This is there are two movies that were released in the past year called Swan Song. This is the one starring Mahershala Ali on mm. Apple TV Plus. Um, I quite liked it. It is a movie about a man, uh, Mahershala, who uh, is he has a terminal illness, and just this, this is a, a near future movie, and there is this new technology that will clone you completely, your memories, your personality, everything. And that if he undergoes this uh, process in total privacy, he can't tell his family. The clone will replace him, and his family will never have to grieve. They'll never know he died. Their lives will continue as normal. And if if he doesn't go, th- but at the, uh, but it, but also if he does that, he wouldn't get to say goodbye. He wouldn't have that moment with them. He would feel like he died lying to them because he he would have. And the movie is very smartly, I think, employs some circumstances in his family's lives and their pasts that add extra reason justification from going well maybe i wouldn't want to put them through that um and it's it's just a very it's an interesting movie it is a little slow and felt a little long i may have just been you know not i may have been watching it when i was distracted or something but um it has that near future sadness that i like it or wistfulness that i like in movies and uh, alex mentioned spike jones as her and this movie just like quite like her has this near future tech idea like so down it's it's really cool it's really well integrated into the world it feels like a very uh embraceable extrapolation of the tech we have now 
Um, also, the vi- it's done with like some practical effects and some digital effects that are really good. Like it's kind of like Ex Machina, where you're watching this clearly small movie with really <laughs> impressive mm. digital effects. There's a part where he and the son are playing a video game that's like in front of the the. It's like a uh, like in like the Star Wars chess thing where they're on the monsters are on the table, but they look so clear and real and three D. It's really impressive. Um, the 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 real hook for the movie is Mahershala. He's brilliant in it. It is such a internal and thoughtful and subtle performance of really two characters, and he he does so much. And Mahershala has always been a, a fairly subtle actor, but he he just does so much with it. Uh, his wife is played by Naomi Harris, who's wonderful. Aquafina is in there; she's great. Glenn Close plays the doctor, and is great. Adam Beach is in there. I think that's all the recognizable names. Um, so it's a very cool movie, and I recommend it. And it's called Swan Song. But the real, the the extra reason I want to recommend it is I. One of the big things people have been saying in the marketing is that this is Mahershala's first leading role in a movie, which is kind of surprising because he's like a name actor who is, you know. Yes. It has two Oscars, and you're like, oh, he's never been the lead in a in a film. That's interesting. Um, and one of the things I think is cool about the movie is that it is there is nothing in the story that necessitates his character to be of any given ethnicity. Like this is such a any human story. Uh, so it's really cool that the movie went, okay, this is such a this can be anyone. Let's go with a black character and a black family. Like that's a cool thing. Um, but it, it it while as weird as it is to think of oh Mahershala hasn't been the lead we are living in an age where it is becoming increasingly less strange in fact it's quite normal now to have a a black lead the reason I'm bringing all this up is because Sidney Poitier passed away around a week ago prior to this recording uh, of course everyone knows he was the first actor black man to win for a leading role in uh, Oscar history one of maybe five in total not great numbers. Um, and he, you know, is this legendary movie figure and you really can't overstate his, his import and his impact. And I, I am certainly of a, of a group that is, I I have not benefited as directly from his legacy, but part of that is just being young and obviously being white. But like when I was started watching movies, we were already in the age of Denzel and Will Smith and Morgan mm. Freeman. And then now we've got Michael B. Jordan and Anthony Mackie and like Mahershala, Forrest Whitaker, previously Ch- Chadwick Boseman. I mean, it's just not, it's not headlines anymore for there to be leading black men in movies. And that is for a lot of reasons. And there's obviously still a lot of, of improvement to make, but that's because of Sidney Poitier, who is a, a, a huge deal and also a genuinely great actor. So I, I confess to not being, I haven't seen all of his movies. I haven't seen like a ton of Poitier movies. If I were to recommend something off the dome, it would be In the Heat of the Night. Classic. I think it's a really cool movie. Scott Wilson, Rod Steiger, and of course, Sydney. Um, so I, I, I don't, I didn't want to not say anything, but I also feel there are people in the world who are black and who are actors and who work in that world who are, who are much more connected to what he did and like go, go and read like the Roger Ebert.com had a great uh, uh, essay written about him. That was really good. So like go and read their, their takes on him. But I, I did want to mention it and just say like totally watch Swan Song. It's a cool movie and Mahershala is always great, 
But also, like, go out there and find a Sidney Poitier movie. Sneakers, a movie he made in the 90s, is a lot of fun. So go out there and, and, and seek Sidney Poitier because many people will always benefit from the work he did as as a black man. But, we're, but everyone's benefiting from the great work he did as an artist. So. That is my spiel. I invite one of you to, to make a spiel. Um, uh, to be honest, I don't have anything this week. Um, and that is because, uh, this past weekend I went to go visit both of you. I was in town and basically I threw a bunch of movies at Tyler to watch. (laughs) Um, so I assume Tyler, you can walk through those real quick. I've already seen all of them, but I don't want to take away a recommendation for one of them when you might want to recommend it. I, uh, I asked you to bring some that I knew that I had been meaning to see and hadn't gotten around to yet, um, just from like various points in time. Uh, yes. And the movies were RoboCop, Catch Me If You Can, uh, A Quiet Place Part Two, and John Carter. Which, sure, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, he he didn't ask for that one. I threw it at him. <laughs> I might, uh, yeah, you assented. Right. Uh, yeah, <laughs> um. But yeah, uh, I think RoboCop was like kind of the clear standout just in terms of filmmaking. I so mean, that's, good. it's, it's, it's great. Um, I was, uh, impressed by Quiet Place Part 2. I want to, I want to highlight that. Catch Me If You Can was great as well. That yeah. I think they were all strong, uh, of, of those three. Uh, they were all very strong movies. Um, but I think, uh, A Quiet Place Part 2, I was, I was surprised and happy with how well I think that continued off of the first movie um, and presented kind of a continuing, very interesting story and angle to take that that world. So um, I like that quite a bit. And that would kind of be my recommendation. I don't know if we will. I feel like at some point we'll find a way to work that into our proceedings. Connecting to the Cloverfield movie somehow, perhaps um, that would be the way to do it, because I think I think we'd have fun with that. Uh, it, even if it did require watching Cloverfield Paradox. Um, we just do Overlord and say that was Cloverfield Paradox. I will also say Cloverfield Paradox did not get a theatrical release, and I think exactly. only, only got a Netflix release because like, they just got like kicked to the curb, if I'm not mistaken. So I feel like we could make an exception and say, eh... This might as this this is this might as well be direct video. Not all Netflix movies are like that, but this one is. <laughs> we're not we're not um, putting this stinker in theaters, so we'll trick Netflix into dropping yeah. it after the big game. That happened. Um. So yeah, Quiet Place Part Two. That's yeah, I like that. That was thumb, cool. Two thumbs up. It's not too big. It doesn't get too huge mm-hmm. for itself. And Killian Murphy's and it's ninety minutes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oof. I also, I love RoboCop. That's such a great movie. Mm-hmm. And I have not watched Catch Me If You Can in a while, but I like it. It's a good time. Just good, clean fun. Tyler, tell us what you thought of John Carter. The world, the, the internet is dying to know. The movie. <laughs> had effects. Took place on Mars. Barsoom, uh, but yes. Taylor, Taylor Kitsch was in it. It's based on a a book by Edgar Rice Burroughs. No jumping. Produced by Disney. 
<laughs> and that concludes his book report. <laughs> <laughs> I think that has a 68% on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> uh, so we're not doing a a franchise next week. We're starting our uh, starting to play yes. catch-up, aren't you? Get out your french fries. Mm-hmm. We, we've hit that time of Get year. Out. Get out your french fries now that you know why they're weird. Yes, exactly. <laughs> that's, a, that's a callback. Um, yeah, what are we starting with next? We are starting with the Suicide, the Suicide Squad. Squad. There we go. Yeah. Should be a good time. Yep. Yeah, it should be fun stuff. And that's all we have to say about it. We're not going to color it. We're just going to give you... We're like Ernest Hemingway. Give you the information. Get out of here. Mm-hmm. I give it a B. <laughs> that's a that's our uh, our stance. That's our philosophy is keep it concise and simple. And that's why we are uh, pushing an hour 30 on our voyage to the Don Trevor. <laughs> yeah. I said at the beginning, because I figured we wouldn't be talking about the movie all that much. It was either going to be very short or very long. <laughs> What do you mean? I think we stayed perfectly on topic. Um, if you want to continue... <laughs> In a way. If you want to see or, or receive our... Uh, if you want to get content... If you want to receive uh, our good word. I, I was thinking the exact same thing. <laughs> if, you uh, want, if you want to receive salvation... If you would like uh, your soul to be cleansed... Uh, you may find us at herecomethesequels.boxbox.com. You can find us on Twitter at sequels. You can email us at herecomethesequels at gmail.com. Um, we're on Spotify, SoundCloud, uh, Apple Podcast, iTunes, whichever it may be called now. Um, so yeah. Oh boy, Tyler's having a real yawn treader over there. That <laughs> and that punctuating our episode with a yawn of of tiredness and <laughs> boredom um mostly i think still residual from john Carter. <laughs> it was fine uh i've been tyler i've been alex i've been Britton, and you after peeping that cheap are having a good night